Welcome to the New Zealand Tech Podcast, presented by Paul Spain and guests. So welcome along to the New Zealand Tech Podcast. We're at episode 177. I'm Paul Spain. I'm C.B. Woodhouse. And I'm Wal Reid. Welcome along. Good to have Thanks. you both here. Cheers, Paul. C.B. Thanks for inviting us. Now, just to for those that don't know where either of you sit in, CB, where, where, where do you fit within the New Zealand technology community? So um, I guess I'm most famous for being the founder and former owner of Orcon, which I sold a few years ago, and now I'm running an internet company called Voyager, and we host about a quarter of all New Zealand's websites and domains. So mm. Great. Well, well thanks nice. for coming back. Um, my name's Wal. I uh, am an avid tech geek and also uh, run the New Zealand Entertainment Podcast as well. Uh, host that show. Excellent. All right. Well, let's let's jump in now. Uh, first up, uh, local story. Yesterday, uh, ASB announced uh, what they're calling ASB PayTag. Uh, now, over the last sort of you know twelve twenty four months, we've looked at uh, a range of uh, payment systems that sort of um, are, are based from your smartphone. Um, predominantly this sort of Android-based near-field communications technology, which, of course, is the same technology that's on most of the newer credit cards uh, today uh, in terms of MasterCard and Visa with their sort of tap-to-pay type capability. That's at most of the supermarkets now, a lot of gas stations. um, Mm -hmm. And there have been variations on that technology that's been trialled in smartphones here in New Zealand. Uh, nothing commercially available other than um, an offering between Two Degrees and, and Snapper, which is really focused on the Wellington market, where you can get a, a special SIM card that allows you to do your payments and so on that way. Yeah. Um, but ASB have uh, have just just announced uh, their their new thing, which they're calling um, PayTag. Now, I understand this sort of thing's been done uh, overseas, and all it really does, from what I can understand, is it takes that that little uh, chip, the near-field communications piece that's in your credit card, and they turn that into a sticker that you can mm-hmm. attach to your smartphone. So instead of carrying around your credit card, uh, you just attach that to your smartphone because you probably take your smartphone with you wherever you go, and you can use that to do your yeah to do your transaction. What I are your thoughts the, on this? Is this, is this massive brilliant. innovation? It's a little bit gimmicky, but um, I must say, for various reasons, I I'm a member of pretty much every single bank, and therefore I have all of the banking apps. And I always notice that, uh, despite ASB not being my current main bank, they they always have the best, you know, iPhone app. You can pay your Facebook friend. You can do instant transfers. There's features that no one else has. So um, I trust well, I think ASB it was B- to be BNZ, a leader. Actually, that did the um, that did the trade me yeah. um, payment thing. First, right. but but there you go. Just you know, just dropping okay. that in there because okay. I, I mean I know I first heard about ASB with some of these things, but then later sometimes I find out oh actually someone else did that first, but they just didn't make a noise about it. And we didn't yeah. know ASB. I think are very good at telling the story yeah. of that they're that they're first, but I mean that looks like they're first on this. Well, one. let's just remember it is only a sticker. It's a t- it's a cashless, touchless sticker that goes on your phone. I mean, first we had tap and gap, touch you know tap and go, and now we've got tap the phone. I mean, it's this is same, just one same technology. Yeah, same technology. It's, it's just a step towards you know being cashless. But the, it is, that, that was that's uh, the service was hacked in uh, Germany. So basically, <laughs> there was a guy a guy wandering around with a backpack with uh, an amplified you know tap and go terminal, yeah. basically sucking up everyone's tap and go, taking eighty bucks off every single person. So I think we need to be aware that if there's someone with a compromised terminal sitting in a in a backpack, it's not entirely safe. And you know, Visa sort of said, oh, it's a hundred percent safe, but. 
you know. Well, I guess I the guess point is that they they back it up with their guarantee that they'll cover those transactions. And you imagine yep. if someone does have a dodgy terminal or doing lots of false transactions, um, it's going to be pretty hard for them to pull that money out because people are going to report it reasonably quickly. And uh, whoever's got that well, dodgy terminal is like, not going to get, get get the funds. You'd, like to, to, you'd cash, like to right? think that, but at, at the end of the day, it doesn't stop a lot of Visa, MasterCard, credit, you know, fraud happening. Sure. And at the end of the day, that has to be done through some merchant. So if you're going to rip someone's Visa card off and have a stolen number, you hmm. have to do it somewhere. So. And, and also, you know, kids, you know, today are going to be, you know, instead of being stepped out for your boots or your shoes, you're going to be stepped out for your sticker. I mean, you know, what's going to happen? You're going to be sticker transferring, illegal sticker transferring. and Well, let, uh, alone, let alone the smartphone it's attached to. We won't worry about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I actually did find one of these uh, cards. I think it was an, an ASB one um, a little while back. I'd just flown in from somewhere and it was, you know, some strange hour and, you know, went off to, to get something, some a drink or whatever at the uh, gas station on the way home and uh, as I walked out there sitting on the floor or on the ground was, you know, one of these cards. Uh, but, you know, it's not the sort of thing you pick it up and you think, oh, that's cash, I oh, could yeah. spend it. There's a little yes, bit more yeah. of a, oh, yeah, this is sort of electronic. And so you know, I'm not saying that I wouldn't have returned the cash if there had been a way to do so, but uh, certainly with a card, it was, yeah, it's much, it's much, you know, you feel a little bit different about it than, than picking up, um, you know, cash. Well, maybe the, maybe the best solution is to have one of these little stickers, but to stick it on one of the back of these waterproof Galaxy Gear watches we're going to talk about later. <laughs> and then you've got your cash with you, you've got your watch, you don't need a phone, it's all waterproof, and... Don't need your keys if you've got a Bluetooth capable car. Well, I guess that's that's totally possible. So, um, so the general consensus well, on the yeah. pay tag from um, 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 ASB now. I think they're launching it with their um, their Visa debit card. Uh, so I'm going to get one, guys. Yeah, I'm sold. definitely going to get one. I'm, I'm all for a cashless society, the sticker of the beast, and all that. Definitely. <laughs> I, I guess if it gives you the flexibility to stick it on your key fob, stick it on your watch, stick it on your phone, yeah. it yep. makes things easier. Then it's a good innovation. Yeah. Mm, mm. Very cool. Yep. So uh, I mean, and 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 definitely one thing I like is just the fact that our banks in in New Zealand are you know trying to step it up and, and compete with each other. Uh, you know whether it's uh, trying to come up with some some you know smart use of Google Glass, which you know isn't even here yet, but you know there's, that's being played around with, or you know apps that work in different ways. I think you know I'm all for there being a, you know competition here and, and, and changing the old banking world for uh, uh, you know for one that's doing good good stuff. So. Well, mm. One of the things that a lot of Kiwis don't realise, if they even even some that have travelled widely, is that. You know, New Zealand was first to implement F- FBOS, and we're so yes. far ahead of the rest of the That's world. Right, so, I have a subsidiary company in the US, and just doing banking is so hard. And if you ask for someone's bank account number so you can pay to them, you might get a punch in the face because they think you're going to rip them off or, or something. So, you have to do you know three week three week checks that take you know weeks to clear, and then even then, it's not guaranteed. And it's it's really really hard banking mm. in the US, and you just don't sort of appreciate actually how far ahead New Zealand is. So. And, and it's very simple here because we have so few banks as well, and it's you know so quick and easy to transfer, isn't it? Yeah, Funds. I think I think most Kiwis will pick up on this new technology. We, we love all the new gadgets and doodacaries and what have you. Uh, I think there's one way that's going to yeah people will get to tap into it. Good. Now, um, now looking at Android phones, which has been one of the spaces where, where we've seen uh, some innovation around, you know, um, electronic payments and so on. But uh, last week, of course, was the Galaxy S five, which yep. which we've got uh, we've got here. Um, been playing with that a little bit over the last few days, and yeah, uh, I mean, 
it is really the the flagship, you know, the top phone, I guess, of the of the moment in terms of what's available globally. Uh, Samsung have have gone with the the global launch, you know, same day in many many countries uh, around the world. Uh, certainly, something that in general manufacturers haven't been very very good at. Um, Apple certainly um, have been improving in those regards. Although uh, you know, New Zealand has you know recently with it, certainly I think the uh, the iPhone 5S, uh, you know, I think we sat back a little bit from uh, from rest of the world, uh, some of the other you know launches. But uh, yeah, Samsung worked really hard to have that sort of simultaneous um, global launch, and yeah. uh, it's it's a pretty pretty impressive phone in many regards. CB, is this the first time you've had a good sort of look at it? Yeah, so I had a um, I was away for four months last year. And I had a, a Samsung S4 in the US, and it's basically the same form factor, but got a fingerprint scanner, a heart rate monitor, uh, and it's it's supposed to be semi-waterproof. Um, but the screen to me looks pretty identical. Um, but it's very, you know, it is very nice. It's very crisp and clear, um, and obviously quite snappy with the uh, quad-core processor and everything that's got. And we've been playing around with the wearables that Samsung have launched with it. And I, I think this is actually really smart that they've launched them all together as sort of, you know, this combined experience of, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's not just this phone that operates independently. It's the, it's the gear fit. If, you know, if you want just that, that sporty device with its, with its wide or its long uh, touchscreen and then, the, you know, the Gear 2 and the Gear 2 uh, Neo. So, you know, touching a lot of bases there in terms of what people might want to want to wear because certainly that, the wearables of sort of fitness devices, that has been starting to grow probably quicker than the, the smartwatch category itself. So having something that sort of yeah. sits in between with the Gear Fit I think makes, makes some sense. And there are people that are sort of looking at the wearables and saying, oh, I quite like this and... Uh, you know that's likely to push them into buying a Samsung uh, yeah, phone as, as well. Yeah, the, the Gear Fit. Uh, this is the first time I've seen this device. I think there's something my girlfriend would really, really like. It's slim. It's got a really nice color screen. It's got a lot of functions. It's got a heart rate monitor. Um, so me and my girlfriend uh, played around with Fitbit for a while, mm. um, oh, yeah. but it's got no screen, so it's fairly limited. And you've got to wear this thing on your wrist. But this is, um, you know, really nice looking, really nicely designed, and it's it's a lot less bulky than the Galaxy Gear with the you know camera and the Gear Two. That's quite yeah. quite bulky. But this is actually something that I think a girl would really like to what you know wear. You wouldn't wear yourself, Siri. Well, no, I don't think so. It's it's quite. I think it's quite <laughs> feminine. But I mean, it's a very yeah. it's a very nice device, and um, you know. It's got uh, you know remote control for your sound. It's got a heart rate monitor. It's got exercise. It's got a pedometer. It's got a beautiful color screen. It looks attractive. Looks like a nice bracelet. Um, doesn't look like a big bulky smartwatch. Um, you know the Galaxy Gear. I think for a girl is a bit bit sort of you know masculine. Yeah, yeah. In my yeah, mind, yeah. yeah. Do you like the look of the watch? Oh. Yeah, the Gear Two is uh, you know an improvement on the Gear One and an iterative improvement. Um, being an Apple fanboy, I've I've actually got a Pebble. And um, I've been trialing that the last couple of weeks, and I, I have found that it's actually really useful to get a text message and just glance at your wrist if you're in a meeting or something, rather than pulling out your phone and then, you know, sort of doing that thing of, of you know, getting back. So um, I've, I've found the people useful, but it's a lot more limited than the yeah. um, the Samsung devices with the colour screens and that kind of thing. I actually think the Samsung S, uh, S5 is actually a marketing nightmare for dyslexics. So what they're trying to do is skew this at towards Apple users, trying to get the share of the market Apple users and marketing at dyslexic Apple users. 
Five S five 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 S. That's what it is. That's what it's all is. It's a conspiracy theory there. Yeah, yeah. Um, right. But that, I, yeah, I like th- the new. Thanks for that observation. That's okay, Walt. mate. It was for free. Um, but I like the touch was on it. It looks clean. Looks a bit iOS. Do I say it? Um, it's not a metal build case, and I know there's a lot of uh, you know talk about that. But I actually think you know even though it's plastic, it actually looks quite fashionable. But well, the, the waterproof element of it, I guess, you know, the Sony sort of really pushed that last year with, with their new uh, Android device, and again this year with the Xperia, you know, Z2, yeah. uh, and obviously, you know, tablets that are wa- waterproof as well. And the fact that they're able just to build this in as standard in their standard device, I think there's, there's definitely, you know, something in that. Uh, it is a little bit annoying, though, having that sort of you know, bung or, or cover at the bottom for uh, for the charger, um, but yeah, I, had, yeah, I haven't found that to be let's, a, let's try a, it a out, big mate. deal. Let's but throw it, throw it in your sink. eventually, well, it's probably going to um, you know some of those are going to break off, or someone's not going to close it properly, and the you know their phone's going to uh, get wet. So well, I actually had a friend that was gloating about a Sony Xperia being waterproof and that kind of thing, and then demoed yeah. it a few times, and then oh hang on it's not turning on killed it and it was a $1500 phone no dead so um, yeah, it doesn't good play. I think water resistance probably it's more of an insurance policy than a guarantee I think but they, it's, they, it's a good they idea. are pretty good though in my, I mean my experience with that stuff having, having tried them out but they're not designed for underwater photography and, and the like that, you know, that, that's not, not the game no? Uh, okay. But in, in terms of having that dustproof and waterproofness, they're, you know, they're, they're reasonably capable. Well, I think so. it's a necessary improvement with the number of phones that get dropped in the in the toilet out of your top pocket and things. You don't want it to be instantly dead, so yeah. it's just that one time yeah. you actually do it. And yeah. Well, there's that small know. number of things of where you know where where a phone devalues to next to nothing, and it's when you you know you crack the screen, and you know often it's just too much hassle for people to you know get the screen fixed, or it's or it's an expensive. You know, hassle to jump through those hoops, and uh, you know, and yeah, getting your phone wet, you know, as the other one sort of you know breakage and and um, yeah, and that water damage. So I, th- I think it's, I think it's good. Now, um, a phone that doesn't uh, doesn't go with with waterproof is the new HTC, and you know they've sort of followed on from the style. Um, well, they started the sort of the all-in-one style with the HTC One X going back a couple of years ago. We've got one of those sort of sitting here with it in its in its white look, and um, yeah, that 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 was um, you know a, a reasonably strong design in its time. It had a, had a few um, issues and and wasn't as strong sort of battery life as as some of the other phones. Mm. And then you know last year we saw the HTC One, and now we've got the HTC One. And then brackets M8. Um, I'm not, not quite mate. sure why they've. I think so, mate. Well, I'm, yeah, I'm not. I'm not mate. sure whether it's mate or M8, but um, I don't know. The mate just sounds a bit too matey to me. So, uh, um, but I, I like that. And I've just had my hands on it probably for the past sort of six days. I, don't, I didn't have it last week for the podcast, but I think I got it the day after. Yeah. Um, and and you know it stands up very well, and I think it's great that we don't just have Samsung that are. That are pushing on these larger, you know, form factor phones, the Android phones. That there is a bit of competition there now between, uh, you know, Samsung, LG, Sony, and HTC, all doing something that's a little bit different. There are similarities, but CB, you made some comments about this hardware before we started the podcast, uh, referencing back to, to to Apple and and so on. What what was your comment there? Yeah, well. Um 
we've been doing a bit of talking, so I can't remember exactly what I said, but I'm super impressed with the M8. I think it's a beautiful uh, build quality phone. And, you know, HTC was really the first company that followed uh, Apple's sort of industrial design ethic with the aluminium finishes. But, I mean, this phone is quite heavy. It actually almost feels more like stainless steel than... Um, uh, you know, aluminium to me, it's it's very very robust. It feels very very high quality. Almost feels like you'd beat someone, beat someone that was attacking you off with it, <laughs> um, and it would it would be completely fine. It's not in, not in the least bit plasticky, and the cover is it extremely nice. Too. Well, talking yeah. about beating people up with a phone um, <laughs> in uh, in the US last year, one of the or earlier on this year, one of the things that um, that I saw was a case for the iPhone that turned it into a uh, a stun gun. Um, so it had a battery, and uh, yeah, it was. Hopefully, um, hopefully, it doesn't use the iPhone's battery because in half the day you'd be flat. You'd be like, oh, I'm being attached. Damn it, I'm out of battery again. No, no. So it was a battery extender for the iPhone, but it also also had, had, had that. So, um, so if you really need to beat somebody up, that's uh, the way to do it. But I wasn't yeah. sure about getting back through customs with that. The so Mufi, stun gun the, add on. Yeah, the so. Mufi stun stun pack. Yeah, yeah. So scary, scary stuff. And um, the cover in it's quite unique as well, isn't it? Uh, and that's an optional cover. I don't know how much it's going to be here. The phone we know is going to be a thousand and ninety nine. Yeah. So it's the most expensive, I think, starting point for any smartphone in the market. And they've, you know, I guess that that that's that's their uh, their thing is they're going for a real, you know, super premium, uh, you know, top end device in terms of its design and and build. Um, it's got the dual cameras on the back, but. Yeah, the unusual thing being that they're four megapixel cameras, which I think there's still a lot of debate around around that comparing to everyone else who's gone for higher megapixel. They've gone for lower megapixel, saying they can pull more. Why would in, HTC so. want to do a five megapixel selfie? Well, yeah, the five megapixel on the front, and I've tried that out as well. Um, and then and the, the main camera is only four megapixel. Yeah, so the, the, yeah. I'm not a hundred percent convinced about the, the, what they've done with the cameras, but it is quite cool having that dual camera and being able to actually do this thing where you you take a shot, yeah, and then it takes a depth, so it's able to do something with say say there's a picture of you know a couple of people in the foreground, and then whatever's in the background, you know, you can black and white that, or you can blur that, and you know, different different right, effects so like that that can quite, be done quite yeah, easily. So yeah. I think that's that's kind of cool. It's quite strange because yeah, it's got it's got three actually got three cameras, which is getting insane. But it's got one forward facing camera, and it's got two rear cameras. So obviously there's some kind of thing. But yeah, it's, I mean it's a beautiful design quality, and the cover is a sort of high quality rubberized feeling cover, but it's perforated, and you can actually touch the cover as you can the screen, and it shows <coughs> a sort of. Um, large format digital display on the screen through so you can do yeah. all, you can access most of the functions and read text messages and things through the cover which is quite unique yeah yeah I mean well, it's, it's limited what you can do through the cover but it, I mean it is handy yeah you give it the double tap and it you know wake, wakes up and so on uh, you can swipe down from the from the top do that gesture and it turns on the voice control so you make a call you hang up your call and so on so yeah, yeah I, I mean I think that's uh, it's you know it's it's part of the sort of um, you know what manufacturers are able to do with Android in terms of that customization to come up with something yeah. unique, and you know that's that's part of the reason I think you know, Android has has been so successful is that uh, you know every manufacturer can can really pour an effort in to do something uh, special with it. Whereas we look across at you know Windows Phone, which is you know is trying to edge up there in their market share, and you know and and they they are definitely you know slowly edging up but it's very hard for one manufacturer to have something that's a whole lot different 
um, to another manufacturer. I've got yeah, the the actually Samsung's um, Ativa S here, and yeah, it's it's a really nice phone, and you know, style wise and so on, it's uh, it's definitely different to. Uh, to what the others are doing, what the others are doing in the in the market looks very much like a yeah between a cross between say an S3 and an, and an S4, but you know software wise, uh, yeah there's not there's not that uh, you know huge room for for doing anything uh, unique. You know, Paulie, I am going to go out on a limb here and, and disagree with my esteemed colleague Mr. Seaburn. So I, I find the display a little bit washy, but I definitely agree that the, the metal casing is it gives it a premium look and something that Samsung probably needs would probably benefit from doing with their premium it does feel nice in the hand though the the HTC does feel you know it does feel nice in the hand Um, definitely it's got a really really nice feel about it so um, and it's got the same as all the other top end Androids it's got that uh, remote control uh, infrared remote control in it for controlling you know your TV and your DVR and whatever one thing that I liked about LG what LG did and uh, Samsung have done a similar thing with the S5 is having um, and again this is a software customization thing that um, that Android allows you to do is having that remote control come up on the lock screen so you can just grab your phone and turn the TV down or you know pause something change channel um, there, but there, well, actually, the the number of controls that are on that lock screen is limited, so it's probably not as as flexible as I would like. But um, yeah, that that's maybe something else that um, that that HTC could have done. You've got to you know you've got to unlock and, and get in there to do the remote. But um, anyway, something, I think something I mean, that Apple needs to do better with the Apple TV, don't they? They need to put the uh, Apple TV controls on your actual. Home screen. Yeah, I mean, I think that sort of stuff is 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 super handy. Just making it really accessible, so so you're much more likely to use your smartphone rather than to have to go for the old school look around for the you know one of many remotes that are you know whenever that wherever they are. Whereas you've always got that phone in your in your pocket. Now uh, jumping on to other new uh, products, curved. TV screens. Uh, yep. We've talked about these. You know, the um, CES showed off many of them this year, uh, and had you know had a good look at those up to the you know the big boys sort of hundred and uh, was a hundred and five inch from Samsung and and so on. Um, LG also showing showing off. Uh, there's, there's a lot of competition between those those two brands. Um, I had a look at a few weeks back. Uh, Maybe even in January now. Yeah. I've I've lost lost track. Um, but uh, Samsung had a few of the the sort of you know prototype or you know pre-release um, of those curved TVs. They're looking to launch into the New Zealand market. I don't think they've actually formally announced them yet. Um, but there were a couple of things that sort of stood out for for me on the Samsung ones. Um, was uh, I believe that they're putting in um, a satellite and a t- terrestrial tuner into the TV. So in terms of getting free view, if you're not in you know one of the big cities, uh, you've usually needed to have um, some sort of set top you know free view yeah. set top box to be able to get that satellite you know that you hook your satellite dish into so that you can watch TV yeah. uh, since we've moved to Freeview so um, haven't uh, you know we haven't got the um, the full story on what Samsung Samsung's launching yet but yeah. my impression is is that they're going to bundle in that uh, satellite capability um, directly into at least you know some of the the, yeah. the new round of uh, TVs it's great because it, it removes another remote and a whole pain in the ass type thing so. yeah so having 
that built in. And the other thing is they've got um, the the DVR, the digital video recorder capability, sort of built in. Uh, not you know not with the hard disk and so on, but it allows you to you know attach a, a yeah, big USB stick or a hard drive to yeah. to the TV directly and do that recording again, not having to have a separate box that your Freeview runs through that you record onto it, you know, a TiVo or whatever other sort of box that you've got. Um, yeah, I think that's good having that into yeah, um, yeah built into the that's going to be the, the big TV. the big growth category is going to be curved and 4K TV. Definitely well, that's what that's what they're um, that's what they're saying. I'm interested in sort of seeing how the you know how the prices land. Yeah. Um, now, both of you have sort of had a look at at the at the curve TVs, um, and the ones that you've seen so far. How do you rate them compared to flat? Is it TV? Is it really that much better experience from your perspective? Yeah. So I've I've seen an LG 85 inch quad um, HD. Uh, curved TV in the flesh mm. and it was super super impressive and my understanding for people that don't know is that the curve on a TV means that you don't get one angle of reflection so if there's a big bay window or something behind you instead of sort of seeing a big you know reflection of everything you get a, a narrow band of the reflection on, on where you're looking at but then mm. everything else is, is super sharp and that was my experience but um, you know the Quad HD and this this TV had 3D and everything as well I mean it was virtually Pins. better than real life you know mm. it, was, it was absolutely <laughs> so pixel dense uh you know they had a 3d thing of a rainforest and it was you know insanely insanely close to reality it was really yeah. really good yeah nice yeah. yeah yeah and i was lucky enough to see the the new curved 4k samsung tv um the big thing was for them was that the upscaling as well is pretty cool and also the uh they have a chip in that this year's tvs 4k tvs will have a chip that allows it when the service is available in new zealand for 4k streaming uh, video streaming, which has started to take off over in the US, right? Um, so you have some yeah. flexibility for, yeah, for so upgrading, the, the and the TVs that, will support that as well, right? And yeah. that's been part of Samsung's story, hasn't it? Is uh, you know, rather than buying the screen that suddenly becomes obsolescent uh, in the future, there is you know a way to sort of upgrade the smarts inside and go from you know one this year's sort of generation to yeah. to, to another of those internal smarts. Not particularly cheap to do so, but it's certainly nice to nice to have that option, particularly if yeah. you've spent sort of you know somewhere between five and ten k on on one of those screens. Yeah, we have a, um, a Samsung smart TV that's about a year old at work. And the thing that I find extremely frustrating is every single time I turn the TV on to do a presentation or something, it wants to do a software update, and it's doing things. And also the user interface is incredibly slow. So the thing about TV is you normally press a button, it's on, it's instant, it's responsive. You change channel, it's responsive. And so I think in the days of internet television and that kind of thing, that you know they've got to nail mm. that TV is an instant medium like radio. There can't yeah. be this yeah. sort of and you know, seamless delay. updates so, that yeah. happen overnight yeah. when you're sleeping and to so me, on. So it's just there when you turn it me, on. To me, my Samsung TV, I feel like throwing out the window because it takes me 30 seconds a minute before I can use it at best a lot of the time. Mm. It's just mm. just annoying. You're going to get it curved, aren't you, for work? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> now, um, so um, after we record this show, we're um, well. LG are doing their their launch uh, of their new curved TVs, and uh, so next week we'll be able to sort of report back in terms of you know what it is and in terms of their particular story for the New Zealand market. We shared sort of what we loosely know around um, um, Samsung. They haven't made a formal announcement or, or launch yet, um, so you know the the information about tuners and so on is, is just uh, uh, yeah we don't know exactly what's going to be and what products and so on but uh, hopefully tonight we'll, we'll get that we'll get the picture filled in on uh, on LG but the good thing here is we've got you know a couple of parties that are that are you know 
challenging each other, and uh, that's that's always my good understanding for the is that, that all, all the um, uh, the vendors will be bringing out Curve TV this year as well. So uh, it's going to be an interesting sell to the public, you know, especially when they had 3D trying to sell that, and now Curve TV as well. So uh, I suppose in the end, the people will decide. Yeah, and I mean, you know, part of it, the mainstream level comes down to pricing, but there's always a, you know, there's always a premium into the market, and you know that that's where these companies make, you know, in theory, make their big bucks is on those those higher end, uh, you know, TVs, and um, yeah, I'm I'm looking forward just to to how they stack up. The Samsung ones certainly look look pretty good from what I've seen, and you know, so did the LG product too. So yeah, I think the curved innovation sort of instantly makes sense. It's something that they've suddenly thought, hang on. This actually makes less clear, less reflection. It makes sense. Done. So you bring it out and it's done. But it's annoying that 3D's been with us for three or four years and it's there's incompatibilities and glasses don't work and they've got batteries and they go flat. And, you know, I think 3D TV is pretty cool. I've, um, the one that I saw in the shop, it works really, really well. But then you go home, you've got no content, you don't know which glasses to have, your friends can't always watch it. You, you know, if you've got people sitting off to the side, it doesn't work. And, you know, all those sort of problems, so they don't need to be solved. And But I think 3D will be one of these things that all of a sudden... Once the you know yeah uh, VHS versus Betamax type stuff's being yeah. worked out, then it'll be you know really cool, and it'll all of a sudden become really. Still prevalent. no broadcasting, you know. Well, I think there has been in some markets, and they've yeah, actually, they've actually stopped. They've stopped really, doing it because uh, there hasn't just been that much pickup for it. I mean, yeah. I think for it to really work, you've got to have it built in, um, but you also need that option to be able to turn it off because there is a level of eye strain associated with it so yeah i'm not sh- i'm not sure whether it'll ever really have that really broad adoption but hey never say never at least it's there uh now uh i did mention briefly uh windows phone um 8.1 it's on uh we saw it last week uh nathan mercer from microsoft was in on the on the nz tech podcast and uh showed us that sort of before its availability it is now um available semi-publicly and what microsoft have done here is quite interesting because we, we look at android and ios they're very different in terms of getting updates apple has has this huge amount of power with the carriers because yeah everyone will do whatever it takes to be able to sell the iphone because every carrier needs to yeah every mobile uh, operator yeah. yeah needs to have the iphone and of course here in new zealand uh you know two degrees have just you know in the last few months recently jumped through those hoops and and you know sign their life away whatever they've done to be able to sell the iphone you know and we've heard of stories of carriers in the u.s that have you know signed multi-billion dollar sort of commitments with apple to in terms of selling their product so there's some hoops to jump through and as part of that um, the mobile companies have to accept then when Ash, when apple pushes out a software update uh, that they don't really get a you know they don't get any say it just goes out which is fantastic because mm-hmm. everyone gets that access to that latest version generally every, you know the large majority of people get it virtually straight away mm-hmm. uh, on a global basis and that's great at the other end of the scale we've got Android with you know just a, such a different mix of uh, you know versions across phones and how long it takes to get a version and you know that HTC One X there which is you know two years old from from HTC but it's never going to get uh, you know an official Android 4.4 um, update mm. you know yeah you want KitKat hey you know go to the dairy and and, and buy one to chew on um, but uh, look it's not it's not it's not coming to that phone and that's you know that's been one of the frustrations Microsoft yeah. sort of seemed to land in this place in the middle where uh, the car- you know there, there are some sort of rules around it, and the manufacturers have to be able to yeah have to which have to come on board, which is basically the phones get the updates. 
the the carriers, the telecoms and Vodafones are two degrees, do still have to sign off, so there can be some delays. But the the unique thing which Microsoft have done, have said, hey, we've got a developer program which anyone can sign up for for free. You install the developer app, put in your credentials, and you have to go through a, a process to, to sign up as a developer, and then suddenly you can get access that new that new version. So if you want to be at the forefront on your on your Windows phone, anyone anywhere in the world can get it, and it doesn't cost you anything, and you, you move more to that Apple-type experience of... Um, of getting the, the new time. the new features, the yeah, um, yeah notification centres, and you know all of those other things that they've sort of built in, and it seems to be a really good release. Uh, but I think this is you know this is a good good thing from Microsoft that they you know they've realised they can't leave their yeah their consumers behind that they they give this early access, whereas it might be two months before we see this update become available, you know from the carriers. Otherwise, well, I've got something to say about that, but um, yeah, I've. Uh as I said, I've got a, an S4, which I had as my US phone uh, last year when I was there for a few months. Um, but I also ended up buying a Windows Lumia phone because it was cheaper to buy a Lumia phone to use as a hotspot, a 4G hotspot, than it was to buy, you know, a, 4G buy a hotspot. hotspot. Yeah, um, yeah. So my girlfriend and I and our laptops and everything ended up using this device. Um, and uh, the other day it prompted me to update to 8.1 because it's connected to Wi-Fi. It sits in my office. And I quite like the Windows interface. You know, I, I think the... Um, you know, Windows smartphone interfaces, they've gone their own way, they've done something different, and I really want to like it. But I did the update, and then when I pre- whenever I press the Cortana button, it just crashes the phone now. So um, if I pre- hold down search to try Cortana, I was really wanting to see how good Cortana was, it just yeah. crashes my phone. So oh, wow. something's gone wrong. I'm not sure whether it's a customised phone that's got you know, some... US operator settings and it doesn't like the fact that it's in New Zealand or something but yeah, yeah. that sort of thing for me hasn't worked well at all so yeah, that's, that, my, only, yeah, that's yeah. my only experience but it may, I may be an outlier but um, I mean Apple is just the master of that you know you can have a phone that's four generations old and it'll run a new update so yeah, yeah but we all have also had the issues where Apple releases an update that doesn't quite brick your phone or your, your iPad but can, can you know we have seen those updates that actually oh should they have released it for this phone because it's now made my phone or my device so slow and and cumbersome um that actually i wish i hadn't installed it and oh by the way now it's so slow and cumbersome i better go and buy a new one which yeah. sort of works in their favor in terms of maybe yeah, some no, new sales that's, that's but, true um i've um, got a couple of generation one I- ipads and they're virtually bricked because they're so horrendously slow yeah, so I, wish, yeah. I wish i could just you know, roll them back and give them to my mum and dad as kind of you know newspaper readers kind of thing. And exactly. So you know, I think you know every manufacturer or every every you know every tech company will make their little sort of mistakes along the way for one yeah. you know for one reason or another. Then they're, they're not they're not all perfect. Although we you know we wish they all would be. But the fact that we've got you know multiple players that are that are pushing in different directions. Yeah. Uh, again, you know that's what's uh, that's what's helping to drive some of the uh, some of the innovation. You know, I've, 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 I like the, the way the look. Same with what you agree as well, CB, about the look of it. They're doing something different as well. The interface, the tiles, it looks cool. But um, for me, I just yeah, I just wouldn't get into the the Windows Phone. Well, there's, there's no there's no apps, which is a big problem. But yep. there's certain things I love about the Windows Phone. Like for example, you, when you set it up, you just prompted for your Facebook credentials, and then you can have your Facebook pictures on your lock screen rotating around and all that kind of thing. And there's a bunch of things that I really you know really like more than you know I wish that I could have that function on my iPhone. So that every time I open my, my iPhone, it's a new picture from a recent thing for my friends, yeah. so I can sort mm. of interact with it. But yeah, yeah. I, I don't think they've got so much of an app issue now. I mean, there's there are you know still you know there are still some things that. That aren't available, but you know mo- yeah. most of the major ones are there. What I find is it's more the sort of 
some of the sort of smaller you know apps or banking local apps like banking and so on and you see, you know we're talking about ASB and banking before here they've got their Windows Phone app but you know none of, none of the others um, have here so you've mm. got to go through and use the web interface instead which is yeah. you know always a, a slightly lesser experience but you know a, a lot of the other sort of you know key apps uh, Instagrams and 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 so on are on there and a, and a, and are pretty good but yeah th- I mean that that's certainly one of the considerations now Heartbleed. That's been. Uh, this has been in the media gory, over the uh, over the last week. Uh, it's not often that we sort of get big, you know, security-related tech stories that land in the mainstream media, but we have in the last few days. Um, yeah, so um, I've got quite a lot of personal experience with this because, as I say, we host maybe a, a quarter of New Zealand's websites, um, so twenty-five thousand sites, and um, so we went through uh, with a scanner, Heartbleed scanner, and scanned all of our all of our sites and um, you know are notifying customers we patched all of our own servers pretty much as soon as it came out so all of our shared hosting where you know excellent there's multi-tenant wow. stuff is completely patched yep um, uh, but we've got a number of dedicated server customers and you know VMware virtual machines that we can't really touch because the customers are responsible for the OS and so out of 25,000 sites I think we had about uh, 10% of those running SSL and um then globally, the the proportion of SSL sites that were vulnerable was about seventeen percent. Mm. So that left us with uh, about uh, well, eight hundred customers. Um, and then the ones that actually were vulnerable, we worked out at about four hundred and twenty-five, and half of those have since patched. So we've now got about one hundred and seventy customers left, which is not too bad for twenty-five thousand websites. But no, that's that's moving the, through. It. That's moving through it pretty quickly, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, our our tech um, guys actually. Um, you know, did a bit of reading and worked out how the export worked, and, and effectively, um, Heartbleed allows you to go and grab a 64 kilobyte uh, section of server memory, um, you know, off the net. So if you keep on trying a server, you can then go and get the server's private keys, and you can go and get a whole lot of data. So it's Heartbleed's. You know, a lot of people think it's just about intercepting SSL, and you have to have a man in the middle, and he has to have a sniffer, and that's not very likely. It's actually an extremely serious flaw. That, it, you know, it is, isn't it? All I mean, the passwords off the server. It basically lets you just steal, I guess, random data off a server, doesn't it? And yep. if, and if, if you if get the, if you try hard enough, and you try enough, as enough times, you will be able to basically get in, and get all the passwords, that kind of thing. So. Yeah, everyone in the world should treat their passwords to the major sites as compromised. And yeah, so we, mm-hmm. we set up a test lab and compromised a server and basically got root access, all the passwords off it, completely yeah, devastating, absolutely devastating hack. And obviously the NSA has probably had it for... Is this one of the ways, like years. with the, the recent Snapchat um, hacking, would that be one of the ways of... I don't think Snapchat had, had anything to do with um, the Heartbleed, heartbleed. heartbleed okay. attack. But, it's a straight um, hack. Yeah, I mean, Heartbleed, it's Heartbleed's probably the most serious security flaw that's ever been discovered in the internet since it went mainstream. I mean, it it is huge, isn't like it? This. No, it's really no. Big. And the fact that it, it can just feed out confidential data at, at, at people that are, you know, visiting these these uh, websites and so on, uh, yeah, it, How it's somewhat would you, beyond comprehension. Would you, would you do your patches in that? for it um, well I mean we um, you know being a, being a large scale hosting company we're yeah. patching continuously all the time we've got hundreds of servers that we manage thousands of servers um, and our shared, shared hosting infrastructure so we're managing them all the time but yeah once Heartbleed came out we had to work out because some of the older versions actually weren't susceptible and some of the newer versions uh, so it was sort okay. of a mid-tier version yeah. so what we did is just we just ran a scanner across all of our IP addresses and we didn't actually have to check all of our 
sites we just had to check the server running on HIP because obviously one server can host a yep. lot of sites okay um, and if a server was susceptible then it was you know all the sites on that server were susceptible so we patched that pretty quickly yeah and there's some good tools online um, last last pass I've got set up a um, uh, a checker but there's a whole range of tools online that, that you can use and uh, you know to just check and you can for instance you can if you're not sure about a uh, particular website that you might visit you can use that to check uh, whether they're okay or not now the interesting thing about this is because it's um, open SSL as a you know it's open source software it's affected a huge number of websites hasn't it I mean as you were saying you know um, a fair proportion of websites around the world those with Microsoft servers because they're using Microsoft SSL uh, uh, technologies and so on um, haven't been impacted but it, it really is a pretty big percentage and not, of not the, all of open the SSL sites were, sort of were affected either so it's about Certain 7 versions, 17% of SSL sites and um the ironic thing is that it means that a number of sites that are susceptible are actually less secure than than non HTTPS because um, you know it's it's good to have HTTPS on, but Heartbleed actually makes the server more susceptible and easier to hack okay. than than just not having yeah. any you know security at all. Yeah, I think I mean this is it'd be an interesting topic to have you know, have some more discussion and around. Uh, yeah, open source because basically, you know, the, 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 there's been some discussion already with, and I can't remember his name now, but the uh, the programmer that was responsible for actually, you know, producing this particular, uh, you know, piece of code, and you know, he admitted that it was it was a mistake, and then there was somebody else who checked the code, they missed it as well. Yeah, maybe that does this highlight, CB, maybe some flaws in the open open source model where you know there needs to be a little bit more stringent uh, testing particularly around these security uh, you know types of pieces I know within you know the big software you know firms Microsoft with their um, uh, SDLC the the secure development lifecycle and you know Apple and uh, and others you know put a lot of resource into getting things secure from the get-go but yeah, it's def- maybe a little bit harder to guarantee in the open source be, world. I definitely think it would be very wrong to say that it's a flaw in the open source model because the advantage about the open source model is you can have a huge number of people out there looking at things. And you know, if you have a closed ecosystem like Microsoft or Apple and there's a flaw, well, then no one can discover it because no one can actually get in to have a look at it. So the end result of Heartbleed is that it's going to be fixed. It probably won't happen again. People will be more aware of it. Maybe we need to go and see whether the guys got a super yacht or something from the NSA for, for letting it slip through yeah yeah very, very well I guess and, and that's one of the considerations isn't it is that with open source with other with you know anyone being able to contribute um, you know there, there could be that risk that uh, somebody with nefarious sort of purposes in, inserts or you know produces some code that does leave something like this wide open for a period of, of time. And you can just imagine if a, a bad organisation uh, had known about this and was utilising it, and, and there's certainly been some you know, rumours around whoever. But again, again, I think um, if you were a conspiracy theorist programmer, this, the 
the uh, comfort that you can get around open source is you can go and look at the, co- the code, you can go and compile it, and then you can say, well, I'm comfortable that the NSA hasn't diddled with this. But if it's a closed ecosystem and you're just given some code by Microsoft or Apple or whoever, you don't know what's in there, you can't check it, so you don't know whether your phone and your laptop and everything is spying on you and there's nothing you can do about it. It's so, a, it's, I mean, it's a know. good point, but on the flip side, most of us aren't, aren't developers and coders and we're not going to go and look through the source code to work out whether something's... Uh, whether something's secure, so I guess it depends whether you whether you trust the crowd to get it right, or whether you trust a corporation to get it right, or whether you just don't trust any of them. Which is probably more the camp I would sit in. Is you know you you can't you can't have absolute confidence that these things are going to be safe and secure, can you? Well, I think yeah. I mean, I think we're all aware now that you send any text message, you make any phone call, someone out there, someone knows about it. So you know you just need to have that awareness in mind. Mm. Okay, now a um, couple of things before we finish up. Um, Amazon Fire TV uh, landed, uh, my one landed here um, la, la, mid, la, mid last week uh, from from the US. Uh, nice little set top box. Now I am uh, in a little bit of trouble today because I've left it at home attached to my uh, uh, TV. Uh, I managed um, to grab the uh, remote. Wow! Um, so yeah, we're able to remote. pass the remote around. Um, what a remote! But the, yeah. the the cool thing that sort of stood out for for, for me because you know I've tried most of the various sort of set top boxes that have that have come through and the Roku's and you know PlayStation Xbox and so on. Lot, you know, there's lots of different ways of, of playing your your Netflix content and Hulu Plus and so on. Amazon have got their Prime subscription and, and most of these things are US services. So you know it takes a, a bit of a commitment you know for most people to actually try try them out. So, you know, to get this, I had to order it, get it forwarded to a US address, forward it on, because Amazon don't sell it into the New Zealand market. And the primary service that runs on it from their perspective, you know, is the Amazon Prime video service and so on, for, yeah. you know, for their, I guess, is their Netflix competitor. And you can also buy, you know, latest movies and TV programs to watch and so on as well. But, in, you know, in terms of accessing it, yeah, there's some hoops to jump through. But for me, I think it's really good. Uh, but its main feature is around this voice control, and you've got the button on it. CB's just pressing it there, um, where where you can you know you can you can talk into it, and uh, um, <laughs> he's, nice he's, he's, he's waving it around and modelling it for uh, for, for everyone. He, he just wishes there was a camera here. Should be a hand model. Um, but that worked really well. But it's limited purely to to Amazon's video service. So whereas I know I'll pick the X, Xbox as an example which has got a universal search so on the Xbox you can go in there and and uh, you know type in or, or even use your voice control or whatever to to pick a bit of content and you know there you prefix it with with Bing for it at search and then you you know you Bing Lord of the Rings for instance and then it comes up with all the content and then it tells you how you can get it whether it's Netflix whether it's through Amazon uh, whether it's through Xbox videos and so on so that that to me is a, is a really good experience but the the Amazon experience I think has got a way to go because it when you use that voice control and it, and it works really well even with my non-American accent be, obviously being aimed at, at, at the US market uh, you know, the results were, were, were mostly good um, but it's only looking to its own services not looking out to what's on, on uh, Netflix and all the other services so mm. I think a, I guess, a little guess, bit more development to go the, you know, Microsoft, Apple and, and Google and Amazon are all trying to silo us to a degree though so you know I I, as I said before, I have a US iTunes account on my Apple TV, and I, I'm siloed. I can only access the iTunes services, but I'm super, super happy with the fact that I can access just about any movie ever made, and 
all the TV shows my girlfriend wants to watch are in there, and so we have a great experience. And so someone on the Amazon service probably is going to have a, a reasonable experience too with all that content. But I mean, it's going to be frustrating for people if you buy a movie on Amazon and then you want to watch it on your Apple TV and you you can't sort of move your content libraries around. You're going to have you know one device for this and that. So I don't know how that's going to play out long term. But it's it's frustrating that if you buy a piece of content on you know iBooks, then you've got to go and buy it again and you know Kindle and you know sure and and one of the stuff. things was I mean you'll see it there on the um, on the on the cover of the box is um, there's a there's the um, um, there's a house of cards um, picture was on was on the um, uh, the the cover for it and so if you go in and do a search for house of cards using that voice control. Uh, it's not giving you House of Cards, which is the you know on Netflix for free. Even if you've got a Netflix subscription, it's going to find it within Amazon's catalogue, and you're going to pay per episode for it. Mm. Um, so you know that that's a, that's a little bit of a, a degraded uh, you know experience to 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 see you know, some of the other innovation we've, we're seeing with these sort of you know combined um, searches. Now the other product that we didn't, um, I think we might have touched on very briefly last week, is that um, yeah Google Google have had uh, Google TV for a while hasn't you know hasn't really taken off, um, but very soon after um, Amazon um, announcing the Fire TV, Google announced uh, Android TV. And interestingly, the Fire TV is based on Android in the background. You can actually install uh, Android apps. You can go through and sort of push push those in there, and that's partly how they're able to launch with a bunch of games as well as the tra- standard set-top box stuff. Um, okay. But uh, yeah, we, we've got um, you know Google pushing ahead now with uh, with Android TV. So that that whole sort of little uh, you know set-top box space just as uh, as you know. Continuing to heat up, which is is uh, not a bad thing. How and, much should the Amazon set you back? Uh, so it's ninety nine US dollars, um, you know, ex tax okay. and so on. It's got a quad core processor. Yeah. You know, it's um, it's more than capable of of uh, of, of handling the um, the task. So yeah, it's it's pretty good. Uh, now one other. Uh, Oh no! Actually, I think we're out of time, so um, we will we will save um, our further discussions for uh, for the next episode. So yeah, that's us. Thank you everybody for uh, thank you for listening in. Uh, CB and Walls, thank you for joining us. Now, CB, where do we where do we track uh, track you down online? You're uh, so, you're an avid Twitter guy. Yep, love my Twitter. So uh, my name's spelled S E E B Y. So I'm at CB on Twitter. Excellent and. Um, find me on linkedin and facebook and every other thing under the planet but yeah twitter's my main home so yeah at cbseby excellent and um your your company you've got um voyager as the main as the main brand but you have you got a couple of other associated sort of companies how does that yeah so after i sold orcon i sort of retired for a few years got into commercial property and then i really missed the internet industry and the tech scene and so uh, i started voyager um, Voyager used to be one of New Zealand's first biggest ISPs, but they got uh, bought by MCI Worldcom, who went bankrupt and so sort of disappeared for a while. So my Voyager is not the same Voyager, but doing the same sort of thing. I think it's a great name for an ISP. And so how I got back into the industry was doing a roll-up of a bunch of New Zealand's hosting and domain name companies. So I own about 10 different web hosting and domain name brands. But then over the last year, we've got back into broadband and you know voice and cloud pbx and a bunch of other services and eventually we'll roll all the brands together and then emerges this awesome super company that hopefully you'll all love 
Excellent, excellent. All right, well, um, that, that sounds exciting. Um, and Wal, we can track you down on uh, on Twitter? Yeah, you, you can, at Wal Reed. I'm on there. And also, uh, you can check out uh, My Big Passion is Entertainment, so uh, the New Zealand Entertainment Podcast, so plug, plug. Uh, on Facebook, NZ Entertainment Podcast, no spaces, just on Facebook, and check out the next episode is coming out soon with uh, Jamie Bone, comedian Jamie Bone. Oh, cool. And with Sheena and Alex, who are running Open Mic Night. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah, there's always always interesting interesting stuff there. Always getting me exposed to uh, new things happening within sort of music and um, video world and and so on. Well, that's so, good. I've um, just got a few you know, tips from you, you and CB just there from the next show. So uh, it's kind of handy dropping in. Excellent. Cool. Excellent. All right. Well, hey, thanks everyone for listening in. Uh, we'll catch you all on the next show. See ya. See ya. Later.